Welcome to the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. The aim of the podcast is to give you usable content for you if you're a health and fitness enthusiast or for your clients if you're a health and fitness professional. With different points of view and a little bit of fun, we break down information to give insights that empower and hopefully inspire through a lens of longevity and pain-free living for everyone. So stay tuned and enjoy. Today on the DTS Fitness Education Podcast, we've got Phil Lerner. Phil has been a prominent figure in the health and fitness industry for over 20 years. In this time, he's established and built a reputation based around his intelligent, observational and results-based coaching and conducted in excess of 30,000 one-on-one training sessions. Phil's clients have ranged from general population all the way through to elite athletes. Alongside his practical coaching, his open-minded, pertinent writing and educational speaking has earned him a great deal of respect from his peers and the community that continues to follow his work. So let's have a little listen and stay tuned. Welcome to the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. My name is Ben McDonald and I am here with the main man, the man from <laughs> Europe, Phil Lerner. How are you, my mate? I'm very well, Ben. Thanks for the intro. <laughs> that's, that's the most epic intro I think I've ever had. <laughs> Mate, I feel like I should be walking into a ring wearing some kind of silk. <laughs> and like explosions going yeah, off yeah, behind yeah. you and all oh, that, yeah, you know what I mean? Music. <laughs> intro music. Fireworks, maybe. Oh, you've know. got to, And them shooting flame <laughs> things, that they're the best ones. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do is, mate, we're just going to get straight into it. Question number one, Phil. Is business acumen important for trainers? Massively, unless unless of course you're you're, you're pro bono. If you're uh, if you're training people for free, if you don't intend making a living out of it, no, it isn't. Probably communication skills, which I'm sure we'll probably get onto in a bit. But it's yeah, business acumen is massive. You know, it's fundamentally how you're going to be able to reach more consumers, reach more people, and and ultimately as a coach, that's what we're trying to do. You know, I I started in the industry to help people. You know, I wanted people to experience what I experienced when, you know, when I got into training, I, I had, an, had an intent. I wanted to lose weight and I wanted to do all these different things and I wanted to improve my sporting prowess and all these different things. And in doing all of that, I, at the end of it, thought I want to kind of pass this on. So obviously you get into the training world and the better you become as a coach, the less people you actually deal with. <laughs> when I retired from PT, my short serving client was six years, apart from a few different projects here and there. So, so my retention was incredible. The problem was is that I was only really helping, you know, I think it was about a dozen people per week, and that was it. And outside of that, obviously, I was involved with forums. I was doing my educational stuff. I was doing my seminars and bits and pieces, and that developed as my career went on. But ultimately, when I got to the sort of height of my personal training career, my one-on-one sort of stuff, you know, when I was grabbing new clients and getting, you know, nice little projects here and there, that was it. You know, that was my revenue capped because obviously I was charging X amount of hours. I could only handle so many clients effectively. You know, I could continue to take on more and more clients, but my quality of service would go down. I would, you know, I'd get tired. I wouldn't be able to uh, service them as well, you know, when they were asking me about what they needed to eat out at the weekend and how was I going to help them and assist them with that. They were traveling and I was going to assist them with that. And if I didn't have enough time free outside of the one-on-one time in the gym, I wasn't going to be able to service that. So therefore I couldn't dictate what I charged as a PT. So therefore my, my price as a PT was very high when I, when I retired, I think I was, I was, I think statistically I was about the third highest charge in PT in the country at the time. And there was reason for that. That was because of this level of service. So, so therefore I was capped. My income was capped at X amount of hours, but you know, multiplied by X amount of, you know, session price. And that was it, you know, and I was helping 12 people. That's when I started to develop and think about business and think about things in a different way and think about scaling and how I was going to reach more people and help more people. And my, my obvious route was to go, right, hold on for every, every extra client I help, I help one extra person and maybe they'll pass their information on to somebody else, which again, tends to be a diminishing thing. You know, it's a bit like when somebody loses weight, they then hand all that information on to all their mates, but it's been messed up and, you know, it's not quite what would work for an individual, as we well know, you know, individuals need individual attention. And I thought, well, hold on, if I help a trainer and I help a coach become a better coach, not only am I going to reach more people, but ultimately that then gets passed down and passed down and it also makes the industry a better place. 
So I went down the route of coaching coaches, hence, you know, where I am now. And because of that, the business stuff had to develop. The only way I was going to be able to reach more people was to communicate with more people. Therefore, my marketing had to be better. My general business acumen had to be better. I had to understand what was coming in versus what was going out. Because ultimately, if I can't afford to pay my mortgage, I ain't going to be training anybody. You know, And it's this bizarre thing, Ben, is that we're in this industry of helping people and improving the... I always come back to the term quality of life. You know, I use that a lot, whether I'm talking about business, coaching, or whatever it might be. We're looking at improving quality of life and whatever that definition of quality of life for somebody is it's you know that's entirely up to them you know for somebody might be ownership of lots of you know you know eh, cars or houses or whatever it might be for other people it might just be health so i'm talking to people about quality of life and their own definition of it but i was improving the quality of life of the people that i was serving but my own quality of life was actually diminishing yeah at one point in my career where you know pt rates were fixed by the company and the, the business i worked for Therefore, every year, my rent was going up, my cost of living was going up, but my, my income was going, well, it was plateaued, basically. Yeah. So what was happening is my quality of life was going down whilst I was improving other people's quality. And it didn't make logical sense to me. And this, to this day, is I've watched throughout my entire career, and you know, I was 20 years as a coach, and I've been in facility after facility, and obviously been doing the educational stuff for a significant amount of time. But the, the main reason that most coaches leave this industry is because they run out of money. Yeah. They can't afford to be in it. They get to the peak of their PT career and then they realize they can't pay for it. They, they can't get a house. They can't pay the bills. So therefore they, they quit and they go and get a nine five job with a stable income because you're guaranteed that. Yeah. You know, and, and again, that, that business stuff is why I've heavily gone down the business route. Most of my stuff now is business. You know, I do very, very little on the coaching side of things. We, I've got a great team of people around me who look after the coaching, look after nutrition. And, and, you know, I still dabble in those fields and, you know, I still lecture on those things. But ultimately, my big thing here is that the thing that PTs and coaches struggle with is business. Oh, well, that's fantastic because that's what we're doing the podcast on. <laughs> it, the topic's right. The topic's <laughs> right, mate. We've got the right man for the job. Good. And I think a couple of the things that you said there, Phil, is really interesting, eh? People talk about uh, balance, balance, life balance, work-life balance. And I think I've sort of changed my mindset on that a little bit where it's like, you know what? Work-life balance, it's balance and counterbalance. So when you're working, you are like working. You are on but when you are not working, you are off. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to it like one bleeding into the other where it's like you're on all the time. You know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah, like- I, think, I think that's very much an individual thing. You know, this, this is like, you know, coaching. For some people, that is the way to go to do this work-life balance. There's on and there's off. Now, for me, I've tried the on-off thing. And yeah. the problem is, is the off is a bit like the... Have you ever heard people talk about the white elephant? No. Or the pink elephant? you know, it's often referred to as well, is that if I tell you not to think about the pink oh, elephant, yeah. <laughs> with me, it's psych- psychology, true. right? Yeah. Psychology. And the problem is, is that if I try and switch off from work, all I do is think of work. Yeah. So my best bet is actually just to taper it down and go, right, so I will have a list of things that when I'm on, uh, this is this list and this is me working through it. And I'll never get to the end of it. I never do. You know, and that, it, it's a great, it, it's a privileged position to be in. Yeah. Is that there isn't a good, you know, I had a conversation with my wife the other day and I said to her, I said, the thing is, is that my biggest limitation right now is time. Is that my bandwidth is maxed. I, I don't have time to do anything more. So therefore, a lot of the, the process that we're going through as a business right now is, is outsourcing, getting people to do stuff, is trying to make things more efficient, quicker, faster. And this is a large part of the business acumen side of things. And, and there is a point now where you realize that, hold on, what I'm doing here is that there's this block of stuff I do and I do very well. If I put it into monetary terms, I will make X amount per hour if I stay in this lane, but I'm spending a lot of time in this lane Yeah. because this is stuff that needs done that only I right now can do, which I know is kind of your low ticket, your low revenue, your this, that, the other. But I know that when I can put all, all my eggs in the right basket and get somebody else to look after the other baskets my revenue goes up. And this is the, you know, something I, I talk about a lot with coaches who are just starting out. And I, I, I talk to them about things like, we've got our cleaner here with us, she's doing a thing right now, is that I don't want to be spending time doing something that I can pay somebody else less for than I would earn per hour if I was to utilize the hour for that list. 
you with me? So, yeah. and people forget about this a lot of the time is that they, they look at things that almost as like a luxury and, and, and they're like, oh, you know, I can't buy that because it's a bit of a luxury. You know, I'm going to pay someone to clean my car. Yeah. I actually enjoy cleaning my car. I do. I tell you, I, it's a very relaxing thing. I find it very almost therapeutic, blah, blah, blah. But I just don't have time. And I know if I stay in this lane, I know that I'm going to get more out of it for me, my family, our quality of life. You know, so ultimately, yeah. and, and does it come down to money? It doesn't always. It also comes down to the fact that everything in this lane I enjoy doing. Yeah. But then I could also flip that around and say, well, do I enjoy doing it because of the revenue it creates? <laughs> and it all complements. And, and you can look at it like that and people say, well, you know, and, and some people might be listening to this and go, well, all he's doing is talking about, you know, revenue and money and blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, but there's a correlation between the amount of people that I help and the amount of revenue I create. Yeah. The more people I help, the more revenue I create. And that's always been the case as a PT, as a coach, as a this, that, the other. And people in our industry seem to have this real, ooh, I can't talk about that because people just think I'm all about the money. No, 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 you're all about the people. And if you're all about the people, the rest will come. Yeah. You know, everything in this lane for me is about people. It's everything I do and everything I enjoy is about people. This stuff in this lane, which is doing things like Excel spreadsheets and things like this, that isn't about the people. That's about data that helps the people. Yeah. and helps me as a business. It's where do you sit on that switching on and switching off? And for me, I don't switch off. I just, I just taper it down yeah. until I'm doing the things that'll keep things ticking away. And now I'm in a position where, you know, I can go on holiday and, you know, my passive revenue will basically pay for the holiday whilst I'm there. Nice. You know, which is great, but yeah. then I've had 10 days off not helping people and yeah. not doing my thing. And my business maybe hadn't grown like it could at that point. Yeah. And I think as trainers, Phil, and I fall into this, eh, where it's like there's a massive, massive difference between being busy and being productive. I sort of see a lot of trainers see their sort of self-worth and value when they're busy, 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 busy all the time. Like you're saying about like doing bits of stuff that really they could sort of farm that out to other people and focus on the stuff that will make them productive as opposed to just being busy. You know, the oh, massively. Massively, you know, generally, the, if I get a PT, a coach, somebody whose business is expanding or doing whatever, I would say 90% of the time, the first conversation I will have with them is about automation. And it will be about how do we make what they currently do more efficient? You know, you look at everything in life. People want things very quickly and they want things to be very, very efficient. The reason if we talk again, we'll, we'll briefly skip across to nutrition. Nutrition, what do people want? People want simple things they can create themselves or they want convenience, which means they're going to eat out. People don't want this complex kind of uh, scenarios where they've got to go home and pack everything in Tupperware and blah, blah, blah. 90% of people don't want that. Yeah. Look at training. What do people want with training? They don't want this. You're going to do six sets. You're going to do an incremental load pattern. <laughs> you're going to work on percentages. You're going to, people are like, well, hold on. That just makes my life more difficult. This is why I like, you know, when I train now, I like to go in the gym and I, I train what I want. Yes. I train how I feel. And I can do that because I'm quite experienced at training. But for my clients, they want something similar just written on a piece of paper or on an app or whatever it might be. You know, people want simplicity. So what I want with the business is I want simplicity with the business. I don't want someone going in and having to pull off all these complex spreadsheets and blah, blah, blah. I want a dashboard that just tells them, bam, 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 bam. What are the key metrics here? What are the KPIs? What are the things that, that are telling me that my business is succeeded? I ask most coaches, tell me the name of every single one of your clients and they can't do it. Tell me the date of birth and you're more than happy to go and reference it and go onto your laptop and find out what the date of birth is. They don't know. You know, and it's data. It's the handling of data and this sort of stuff. You used to bore the hell out of me, but I see it as so valuable now. If I move the screen that I'm watching you on here, I've got four spreadsheets open. That has been most of my morning. And then if I, open the, if I open my Google Chrome, I've got one, two, three, four. <laughs> this, this, this is probably going to offend a bunch of people because it, this is the amount of windows I've got open. I've got four <laughs> spreadsheets open in front of me. One of them's got stuff about time management, finances, goal setting, work-life balance, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the other one's a planning one. The other one's a, 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 for our recipe books that we do. And if you look at all what's open in my browser window, there's eight applications on there and there are productivity applications got uh, one called zapier i've got mailchimp i've got various other bits and pieces on there that are all about productivity and efficiency 
you know, and I spend most of my time now trying to save time. It's a bizarre thing, right? <laughs> I spend most of my time now trying to save time. <laughs> People say just retire. You need Stop to cut back it. on that. Yeah, cut back on that. You'll save loads of time. Stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. No, productivity, it's, it's like the key thing, Ben, that uh, I talk to any business. First thing I look at is how efficient are the operations that they run. Everything right down to a consultation form. You know, I want my client to fill out consultation form and I've got all that information available to me. You know, we do, we set up consultation forms for coaches and coaching business where every single piece of data from every single client you've got will be on a spreadsheet. It's not just on a spreadsheet, it's on a spreadsheet that is in a cloud, which means that you can access it from your mobile device or wherever it might be from wherever in the world, which means at any one stage, you can refer to all of your clients, their goals, everything about them, injuries and, you know, medication, anything you want is on there. Yeah. You know, and most people, it's all scattered about. They've got all this paperwork everywhere. And like, and I'm very old school. You know, I love a diary. I love a book. You know, I'm very old school with respect to that. You know, I've got my, this here. This is my paper diary as well as my digital diary. And I've got there's, there's four books down here that I use for notes. And, you know, I'm very old school. But we've got to embrace this technology as to, as to how do we automate and move things faster. I like that. If it's going to streamline it and make your processes a little quicker and more efficient, then why not, mate, you know? Massively. Okay. Question number two. What is the lowest hanging fruit for a trainer when it comes to getting on top of their business? Tell me what you mean by lowest hanging fruit in, in what kind of context. So the, the lowest easy hanging stuff. Fruit, the easiest stuff. The easiest stuff where a trainer can be like, when it comes to the business, boom, what's the easiest stuff that somebody can get on top of? Again, let me just drop some context in there, but that depends on where their business is to start with. Right. Right. So the first stage that we look at with, with the PT business is I'm talking to a personal trainer the vast majority of the time. Some cases I'm talking to a gym, some other times I'm talking to, you know, online businesses, whatever. Generally, I'm talking to PTs, right? So the first thing that a PT needs to do is they need to cultivate their, their craft, which means they've got to be practicing. They've got to yeah. be busy right? Somebody's fresh into the industry. One of the first things that we know about this industry is that the entry point is very low, which means that when somebody comes into the industry, they're not going to know and have the skills they need really to be very good at what they do. And that's down to a bunch of things and a bunch of, of gaps in learning and blah, blah, blah. And this is why we do the academy because we try and fill all those gaps of learning that people have alongside them having the experience. So one of the first things we need is that if we're going to teach people about all these different things in coaching and nutrition and all these bits and pieces, first thing we're going to do is get them busy. So somebody who's just starting out as a PT, the key thing is to fill their diary. That's the first thing they've got to do, fill in someone's diary. Now, the vast majority of PTs who start in the industry – Despite what many of them want to do, most of them end up in commercial facility, yeah. which means, you know, in the UK, I think the average amount of clients that you have based off the stats that are available to us, I think it's 232 clients on average you have per facility, per trainer. Right. Okay. And, and, and you know, that's UK statistics and I'm sure they're a little bit out, but, but you've got a shed load of clients to pick from. Now, if you want to be busy, you're going to need probably between eight and a dozen clients. Eight clients doing three sessions a week, it's 24 sessions. Yeah. There's not many coaches out there going to be able to service a good level of service. Now, it depends on the location. Again, and I'll talk about this in a second, man. But if you're in a high-end location, charging a lot of money, you probably want to do less sessions because the service that they'll be demanding is way higher. Right. You would make it's like a five-star hotel. Yeah. Now, if I'm based in a low-income area as a coach, I probably wouldn't do PT anyways. I'd probably do a boot camp style thing or I'd do group coaching because people can afford it. Yeah. But it means that my hourly time is spent better and I also my revenue goes up. Remember, group stuff always works better in low-income areas. It just does uh, for various reasons, you know, social reasons, financial reasons, uh, community reasons, all these different things. And, you know, the amount of businesses that I've talked to, I, I, we did a big conference a couple of years ago. There was me and, and, and a bunch of my friends sort of did a big conference called Peak Summit. It was all about business. And I grabbed one of the VIPs that paid for the VIP ticket. And he didn't know this. Well, they didn't know it. There was two of them actually from the business there. They didn't know it. And what I did is I did a basic demographic analysis of their business. They didn't know I was doing this. I took their business. I did a basic demographic analysis. Probably took me two hours to just pull it all together. Now, I knew nothing about their business at this stage. 
apart from their demography. I knew what their address was and I knew their business location. That was it. So I, I got up on stage and I, I started pulling up all these slides and all these slides had you know, images and graphs and charts and some of them had map locations and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I was watching these guys and knew who they were. And all of a sudden their eyes lit up because I showed a picture on the, on the thing of a couple of businesses that were next door to them. And they were like, that's us. <laughs> so I've gone through the business and I've basically told them, based off what I know, this is the model that I would run with that business. And one of them pipes up, he says, yeah, he goes, we figured that out after four years of running as a business. Oh. He, go, he goes, it took us four years to figure out that what we were trying to do didn't work. So what they'd done is they started off as a PT facility. And I basically went through this whole d- d- demographic thing and said, PT won't work. I said, so you're probably looking at maybe 10 to 15% of your business will be PT. And to be honest, it would probably be a bad, uh, bad use of time in many respects. Yeah. I said, because you're just not going to get the ticket price that you'd want for PT. But your group and your small group stuff is going to fly. And people are going to want this. So I would set the facility up differently. You're probably going to spend a lot less money on equipment because group coaching requires less equipment, bizarrely. <laughs> It requires less equipment in many respects than what you would have in a one-to-one facility. You don't need machines and as much variation. You know, it's very, very simple to set up a group facility. So he then goes, he goes, that's exactly where our business is right now. I said, well, had you done a demographic analysis, which, you know, obviously I'm very adept at them, but it took me two hours. Yeah. I said, I could have told you before you launched your business what to do. And, and that is this, this planning and this process of knowing, knowing what to do and how to go about it. So the first thing is, is to create that plan, is to, is to how do we get busy and what kind of business are we going to operate? Once we've done that and we've got somebody busy, we're then going to be able to then scale the business moving in. So, so with respect to the low-hanging fruit, it depends on where the business is at the moment. The yeah. low-hanging fruit, in many respects for many people, is to actually just get busy and get clients. And the acquisition of clients is a very easy process. You know, every single facility I've ever worked in, I'm, the, the big one I went to in London, uh, and again, I actually spoke at one of their conferences last year, and, and I told the management a bunch of stuff that they didn't know about me. Because uh, I rolled in, and I, I went in like a bull in a china shop. Because I wasn't there to make friends. I wasn't there to do this. I was there to just get busy and become a good coach. And within three weeks of me being there, I had a waiting list. There was coaches that had been there for about six to eight years who didn't have waiting lists. Yeah. I went in three weeks later, I've got a waiting list and I've got about two or three celebrity clients simply off reputation, you know, and, and this was all unheard of and the coaches didn't like it. I, I was actually told by one of my longstanding clients when I actually retired, she said, you know something, she said, I never told you this, but a couple of the coaches from your previous facility, the one I was at, actually phoned her up personally. They got a phone number and phoned her up and told her that she shouldn't be training with me. That's a little strong. Yeah. And that, that, was, that was in my first, probably my first three to four weeks of being there. I went in like a bull in a shiny shop and I got busy. Yeah. And there's various things. And I've talked about this, Ben, on, on multiple podcasts. I've talked about this loads of times. And, and I keep talking about it because like anything, the more I talk about it, the more it'll sink in with coaches. Is that all I did, I went in there and I introduced myself to every single person on the gym floor I could. Yeah. I used to stand at reception. And again, this is a story I've told a million times over. I used to stand on reception and I used to lean over the receptionist's shoulder and I used to chat to them and do this, that, there. And people were always like, you're always at reception. I said, yeah, because when people check in, their name comes up on the screen. You're like, mate, I've done the same thing. And it's like, hey, morning, blah, such and such. And they're like, ooh. <laughs> so I just used to go, I used to go around a group in a pub. One of the skills that my parents, you know, and then I was chatting to my son about this last night is that, one of the skills that he's got that he should never let go of is the fact that he has very, he's very skilled and adept at socializing. Yeah. He will walk into a room full of people and has no qualms about talking to anybody. And I said, that is a skill that in 10 years is going to be pretty much non-existent. You know, you're going to have a skill that businesses will pay top dollar for because you have an ability to communicate with people. And I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know why I got busy. I was, you know, I was like, well, I'm a good coach, but, you know, in three weeks, nobody's going to have a clue what I'm good at and bad at or whatever. And I would, you know, think, oh, maybe it was my physique. And, you know, I was always in shape, but I was never like proper ridiculous in shape like some of these guys. And it took me years to figure out, well, why was I getting busy and other people weren't? Because I used to go around and talk to people. And I used to introduce myself and I used to find something in common with them, things that my dad used to do at the pub every single day of his life. I used to find something in common with them and I used to talk to them and I used to chat to them and I used to give a crap about them. 
you know, and, and whatever it was they were trying to achieve, I would try and help them with it, whether I was paid or whether I wasn't. And I spent years and years and years, Ben, you know, more than a decade ago on forums. And I used to spend hours in an evening on these forums and I wasn't getting paid. I just used to sit on these forums and used to help people. Yeah. I used to write articles for free. Yeah. And I talk about this to, to coaches is that all those things that I did for free years and years ago, I'm now getting paid for. The article I wrote for free in 2005 caused five people to follow me on social media. Those five people who followed me on social media liked my content. The next piece of content I wrote, they shared it with five of their friends. Therefore, it's 25 people. Then they shared it with five of their friends. Then it was 125 people. Then all of a sudden, I've got this social media following, which isn't epic. It isn't huge compared to a lot of the people out there. But I've got a hugely engaged audience because every single one of them came about because of something that I did. Yeah. The fact is I can look at it I can frame it in two ways is that when people leave my social channels, I can be all depressed because my following has gone down or my likes, or whatever it might, or I can look at it from a perspective of whatever I was delivering wasn't good enough for them and it wasn't appropriate for them. So therefore they're not listening anymore. Yeah. Or they've just got to the point where they don't want to listen anymore. And that's cool because that means that I'm not talking to somebody who isn't actually listening. I just want to talk to people who are listening. Yeah. So what would happen, I'd go into the gym and, and again, long convoluted sort of uh, answer, but I would go into the gym, I'd introduce myself to everybody. I went in that gym uh, not that long ago, it was probably in about October and I went, went to that gym and it took me about 35 minutes to walk around the gym because I kept getting stopped by people that knew me from the time I worked there. And I haven't worked there in 12 years, 13 years, and it was still full of members who recognized me and knew me and were like, oh, hey, Phil, how are things, blah, blah, blah. And I knew their name, they knew mine. And you know, I'm terrible with names. <laughs> you know what it's like, John, I'm, I'm awful with names. <laughs> I know what you're saying, Dave. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd always find something that would remind me, and, and sometimes I'd just have a complete mental block. You know, I'd be like searching for whatever it might be. It's like when you go to conventions, people come up to you and they know you because they've came up to you. But I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what your name is. I'm sorry. You know, and you have to apologize. And, and it's nothing personal. It's like, you know, these are people that I've probably interacted with at some point in time. You know, hopefully I've interacted with them at some point in time because I try and be very personal with stuff. And I, I can't remember what they're called. But, but for trainers, get busy. Do you know what, Phil? It's like over and over and over again. I mean, we're the fundamentals company. We pride ourselves on the absolute foundation being solid in what people do as, uh, as coaches and trainers. It's not super sexy, but it is like the fundamentals, the foundation is what everything else is built on. And you hear it over and over and over again where people are like, get out on the gym floor, introduce yourself to people and have a chat and help people out on the gym floor. Give them some yeah. pointers if you can. And it's, it's like, mate, is it really that straightforward? Just get out there and speak to people, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I remember when I did my level three many, many moons ago, and one of the things they taught you, they said, they just go up to people on like cross trainers and stuff and ask them if they want personal training. And that was it. That's what they taught you. They said, actually go up to them and just say, would you like some personal training? <laughs> and, and basically what you're asking, you're not asking them if they want personal training, you're asking them to spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds with you every week. I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll give you a bunch of money. Know nothing about you. Never met you before. You know, you're probably 10 or 15 years younger than me. You know, I've never seen you train anybody. I know nothing about your experience. I know nothing about your qualifications. But yeah, of course, I'll sign up. <laughs> you know, and trainers wondered why it never worked. You know, it'd be like tapping someone on the shoulder whilst they're working out. I'm like, piss off, I'm working out. You know? So, so there's a time and a place for doing it. And, and for me, I, I was used to catching them as they were going in or coming out. Yeah, I'll tell you what, what I used to do. Same thing, stand at reception like they come in first time so let's say I'm, I'm seeing you for the first time walk in same as what you're saying look over the shoulder of the receptionist and say hey Phil how are you you say oh hello I say have a fantastic workout my friend and that'd be it next time I see you I'd be like hey what are you working on today Phil oh do you know what I'm working on x y and z fantastic have a good workout and then sort of build, next time it'd be like oh do you know what have you tried X, Y, and Z. Give them a little bit. You know what I mean? So it's like you build. It's relationship building. Yeah, you're building. building. You're building a meaningful relationship with the person that you're dealing with. That's what coaching is. All of my clients, you know, the, the majority of my clients, you know, that I, I've finished with all came to my wedding. And again, this is the thing that's, you know, processed in the industry. And people say, you know, your clients aren't your friends. No, they're not. 
But by the time I've coached them for a couple of years, I have a meaningful relationship with these people because I give a crap about them. I care about them. And, and, and they, in turn, care about me by default because all I'm doing is looking out for them all the time. And that is my prerogative. It's the, that is my goal is that I am looking out for these people and whatever it might be. And it was bizarre thing. Everything right down to, you know, they were asking me favors about this and how do we do this and stuff outside of coaching. You know, they wanted life advice. I'm like, you know, in some cases, I'm like, I'm not in a position to answer you on that. <laughs> you know, but that's how it works. And, and, and as you build meaningful relationships with people, whether it's your friends, your family, your colleagues, whatever it might be, people are terrible at this nowadays. And, and particularly, you know, the, the generation that sort of came after ours is that they're horrendous at building meaningful relationships because something they're not used to. They're taught that everything right down to how they perceive, you know, and this was something I talked about yesterday, how they perceive winning and losing. They don't differentiate between the two. They find it very, very difficult. And, and this is something that their, their generation sort of brought up in. And, and this relationship building is things like, you know, you go on a dating app, it's like, you're building a meaningful relationship based off somebody looking at you and going, swipe left, swipe right. You know, and that isn't how people used to develop meaningful relationships. They used to mean, you know, they'd see someone, they'd start talking to them. And then from that, you'd learn something about them and then this, that, the other. And it wasn't this filtered thing, yeah. you know, and you go, you know, you talk about like a dating app, a dating app. Nobody's going to put their negatives on there. They're only going to, it's all going to be filtered. It's yeah. this filtered world in which we live in where everything is filtered. You know, you, your clients, they go up and look at the profile board. That's the filtered stuff. Yeah. That's the stuff that really they probably don't give two hoots about. Your list of qualifications. They want to know something about you. They want to know if you've got a dog. They want to know, you know, have you got a family? They want to know all these different things because that gives them a grounding as to who you are as a person. You know, when I take on somebody I employ, I want to know what their life situation is at that point because that gives me an idea of what their priorities are. Yeah. Is it money? Is it stability? Is it all? I need to know what those things are. And it's the same as with the client is that I want to know what a client's goals are based around their current life situation. You know, if I'm dealing with a single bloke who's 20 who wants to get shredded, who, you know, who lives a hundred miles away from his family, doesn't have a, a partner, you know, all of a sudden all these things dictate what I can and can't do is in the basis of, of the start of a relationship. I'm going to turn around to him and say, well, you know, you're not allowed to eat out anymore. Because then I'm impacting his life negatively, right? Yeah. Because I'm not considering his situation. And, and this is the thing, as coaching, it's always got to be considerate coaching. You know, a friend of mine, Brett Bartholomew, he wrote a book on considerate coaching, which was all about dealing predominantly with athletes. But it was, it was about considering the people you're dealing with. He's looking at the situation. Is that I've got to consider everything right down to, you know, do they have kids? Yeah. Do they have dependence? Do they have financial dependence that they need to look after? What about, and again, I'm talking about coaches here. These are all the things that we're looking at with the business. Because as a coach, when you start in the industry, most people, they don't have any of that stuff. Yeah. They don't have a house. They don't have a mortgage. They don't have any dependence. They don't have bills. You know, what they've got is they've got their internet bill and their rent. And that's all they have to worry about on a monthly basis. And, and when life gets real, this is when they, they leave the industry. It's yeah. like, well... I could sustain that, that life before on what I was getting paid, but I can't do that anymore. So therefore, my choices are either I've got to change the way I coach or change the way I look at coaching, or I can just leave the industry. So a lot of them leave the industry, and they moan and they bitch about the fact that, oh, you know, it's not like how it used to. I hear coaches, sort of our generation. When, how long have you been coaching, Ben? Oh, I've been a PT for about coming up on 16 years and a boxing 16. coach for about so, 20, right. 20 years. So, so when our generation started PTing, right? When we started PTing, clients were easy to get. They genuinely were when we started because there wasn't many PTs. Yeah. And PT was a new concept. And provided your facility or wherever you started at, they, the concept was bought into, people would sign up. You know, so it wasn't difficult. And for most of us, what we did is we did like 50% fitness instructor and 50% PT, and then we'd taper one down and then eventually we'd be a full-time PT. And I actually had to, had to push for that, the first facility. I was actually didn't do PT. This is this thing where we've got to consider people's worlds, people's environments. You know, they eat out with their friends on a Friday night. I'm not going to then turn around to them and say they've got to change it all. You know, I've got a fundamental goal with them and it could be something, if it's a nutritional goal, I've got a fundamental goal of maybe I've got to reduce the calories somehow. I haven't got to change the whole social life. I've just got to reduce the calories. That's all I've got to do. <laughs> you know, I've got somebody who's got kids running around, they're going to do school runs, they're going to do all this stuff. And I'm saying, well, you need to get up early and go to the gym. 
no, no, you don't. You need to move more. And this is how we look at business, right? Is that I need to consider everybody's business. What are they good at? What are they bad at? Who, what are the gaps? What's their lane? You know, if they're a coach and that is all they do, and they, you know, they're probably going to come to me and go, I want some business advice and I really want you to do it for me. In which case, I'll find someone who can do that for them. Yeah. Be out of my bandwidth. Part of the ACA and what we're doing with the ACA now, right now, is we're, we're expanding the team and we're getting people who we're trying to do a lot of stuff for other businesses. Uh, we're going to be launching a, a web development platform shortly where we'll, we'll be creating websites for fitness businesses that are tailored entirely towards client acquisition, client retention, all these things. And, you know, they'll have my 20 years of experience behind them alongside, you know, a bunch of designers we've got, we've got some web developers, we've got all this stuff. And, and these are going to become part of the team. We're trying to, again, just improve the quality of coaching, the quality of coaches, the quality of coaching businesses, and therefore drive our industry the right way. And, and make that statement to people and coaches out there that you can't have this slapdash attitude towards a business. You can't anymore. Yeah. You know, and once upon a time, you could go and you could do a couple of weekends of getting a PT qualification, and a week later, you're in a gym and you're busy. No. We're a professional industry, as far as I'm concerned, and always have been. You know, and I yeah. think focusing on that, you, you end up focusing on the negatives of the industry all the time. The industry has so much to offer. If we keep on the positive, then that's the way forward, mate. Do you know what I mean? Focus on what you can do as a coach, not what other people are doing as, a, as coaches. And for the listeners, for people that are watching, we'll have all the links to the Academy uh, it will be in the description of, of the podcast. So people can click on it, come to the Academy, check everything out and drop in and hear some more pearls of wisdom from Phil later. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, mate, do you know what? We've answered like literally all the questions, but we're going to go through them anyway. Uh, so question number three, for a trainer to be successful, what are your top areas to focus on and what's just noise? Right. Uh, a generalization, because I've got to. You know, generalization. You asking, it's got to be a generalization. Improve your communication skills. It's the biggest skill coaches are lacking. Coaches are out there doing all these different courses about better, becoming a better trainer. And they've got this list of qualifications a mile long. Most of them lack communication skills. Yep. Uh, again, just a quick example. When I, I first qualified as a coach, we had a really good tutor back in the day because PT qualifications were everywhere. But we had a really good tutor. And what he did is he made us go and coach in movement. And I think if I remember, I coached a chest press. What he did is you had to go and coach a chest press without saying anything. Yeah. That you were then you had to go and coach a chest press without moving. So you had to just stand there and vocally tell someone and explain it. And this is a coaching drill that I've, I've explained to a lot of, when I deal with bigger gyms and bigger businesses and deal with lots of coaches. So look, implement this. Get coaches to be able to communicate it verbally, get them to do it without the verbal cues and put it together. And now all of a sudden you've got a good coach, you know, who can do both of those things. And they're, they're, they're the two main ones that as coaches we need. You know, is the, the the visual and also the audible, really? Yeah. So, communication skills, number one. I think so. In a generalization, I would say, like, again, rough percentage, certainly not data backed, but eighty <laughs> percent. I reckon eighty or ninety percent of coaches that I ever deal with, communication skills are their main one that they probably need to work on. Not yeah. the one that will have the biggest impact in the business immediately, because this is something they've got to culture and nurture and become better at which doesn't come overnight. I, I can't t write you a list of things, how to improve your communication skills and you go out and implement them. It's going to take practice. Yeah. It's, it's like when people talk to you about public speaking, they're like, well, how do you do that? Well, it's the same as talking to one person. It, it's not much different. All that's going to happen is I'm going to get more questions, which is good because if I get a question, I'm, as you've probably noticed, I'm going to be perfectly okay if someone throws a question at me. <laughs> yeah, so, so communication skills, I think, are the main one. Do you know what? I was having a conversation with a guy the other day and he's like, oh, do you know what? I did a presentation at the big convention over here, CamFit Pro. So he said, I did the, a presentation at CamFit. He said, I was so nervous because it's like the first time where I've been presenting to more than 10 people. I said, well, it's always 10 people. He says, what? I said, it's always 10 people. Whether it's 10 people or a thousand people, it's always 10 people. It's just exactly the same as if you're doing it to 10 people. He went, same oh, comms, yeah. right? You know, it's more like doing somebody doing a video online. You know, if you're doing it live, you know, it's different. But but we're not getting retakes at this. Is that you know a lot of people are shy of podcasts, like oh no, because I'm going to talk on the spot. 
I can't record it and then edit it and chop it all up and put all the, you know, when I've made errors or whatever it might be. Or, you know, I, I remember one of the things, maybe when you listen to this back, I might might do it. And I, I've tried to, you know, coach myself out of it. Some way. I used to say, um, a lot. I used to say, um, um, because I'd be thinking, you know, and if you if you don't know your topic, obviously you're going to go, um, a lot. But I just used to do it out of habit. I just be like, um, um. And, and, you know, I've got, I've got friends who say other things. I was listening to a presenter yesterday, a very well, world-renowned presenter. I was in the car for a bit yesterday. So I was listening to this presentation that he did. And he said, right, at the end of every single thing he said, right? <laughs> and, it, and he did that after every, and I'm sure some people who have probably listened to this guy will know exactly who I'm on about. But every single thing he said, he said, right, after it, right? You know what I mean, right? Yeah, mate, I do it all the time. I'm bad for saying, you know what I mean? It's a right after it, right? After literally everything. <laughs> but yeah, you've got to practice it. So getting the communication practice in is paramount. All right. You're allowed to say, see question three, right? So what would be, what would be the number one focus for a new trainer struggling to obtain clients? Again, it revert back to the previous question. Uh, learn to communicate with people. It all depends where you've been situated. I mean, coaches have this weird fantasy that the place they belong is in a private facility. What you can remember in a private facility, if you if you don't take clients with you, or the facility isn't, and there's a couple of unique facilities out there. One of them I used to I used to work for UP that they have so much interest in the business that there is enough client inquiries that then get filtered out to coaches. Yeah. Now, there's very few businesses in this world that exist like that, that have the reputation to be able to draw clients to the business as an entity to then feed them to clients. So if you go to a private facility, chances are you're going to have to pull your own clients. And most coaches seem to think that if I go to a private facility, I'm a better coach. Yeah. No, you're not. You're a quiet coach. Who's <laughs> flapping every time a client leaves because there's nobody else. Yeah. Where, where are your clients at? They're like looking around. You've got a commercial facility, as I said, you know, statistically there's about 230, 240 people out there. And that's based off the average of clients. Now, if you've got 10 coaches in there who are already busy, they've got their 10 clients and they don't want any more. Yeah. So now that multiplies. You've got 500, 600, 700 people. You know, it's enormous. You know, there's facilities over here with like 20 trainers and 5,000 members. It's mad. I, I say a lot to people like, cut your teeth in a commercial. You know what I mean? I've done pretty similar to what you're saying, Phil, where it's like, I started in a commercial gym. I had my own studio. I went and like did home training, all these different things. Flipping it, mate. If you're a new trainer and you've started like in a, a private facility, you've got to learn all the other skills, communication, blah, blah, on top of trying to get people into the gym. Yeah, yeah. If you feel like it's uncomfortable talking to somebody on the gym floor, try talking to them in a supermarket. I've had coaches around just to, they, you know, they came to me all flapping and blah, blah, blah. And how do I get more clients? I said, move. <laughs> Take a step back. Go to, you, you know, your Virgin or your David Lloyd or your, because go to them. Learn your craft. Yes. You're an average coach right now, you know, and I am that honest with people. I'm like, you're an average coach with average skills because you haven't practiced it. That's all. Coaching is a skill. We all know that how do you, acquisition skill is to do with practice. Yeah. It's to do with repeated practice of the same or similar things. That's all it is. Yeah, I like that, mate. I like that. Okay, question number five. What would be the number one focus for an established trainer struggling with client renewal slash retention? If, they, if there's a problem with retention or renewal, it either means you're really bad at your job or you're very good at your job, which if you're very good at your job, your clients are probably going to walk because they've learned everything they need to do. Yeah. Now, what will happen as a good coach, in my experience, is that there will be certain clients that don't want to learn. So you'll end up with them. Like what I said to you about, I had a bunch of clients who didn't want to do it themselves. That yeah. was it, period. You know, they didn't care. They didn't want to learn. They didn't want to be educated. I had a guy, and I joke about this, but he's a good friend of mine. I could tell him a piece of equipment to go on, and he wouldn't have a clue where it was. <laughs> he wouldn't even remember the name of the equipment or the movement. And I'd tell him to it every single time. But he couldn't remember after, you know, eight years. And, and because he's someone who, who wants to go to the gym because he wants to switch off. He just wants to be physically challenged in an environment. Now, occasionally you're going to get people like that. Now, if you're struggling with retention, there's something wrong with your services generally. Yeah. You're not servicing or in many cases because you're too busy. So therefore your level of service is poor. Right. 
So I've had coaches who have seen like 40 clients, 40 sessions a week, 40 or 50 sessions a week. And they come to me and go, yeah, but my clients move on really quickly. I said, well, we've got to look at, we've got to look a bit deeper than that as to why they move on. What kind of level of service are you giving them? Well, they come in, they turn up for the session, I train them for an hour, then they do the same again two other times a week. I said, do you communicate with them outside of those hours? No. Do you do anything for them outside of those hours? No. Nowadays, that doesn't cut it. Yeah. That isn't a service that people are going to pay for unless it's really cheap because, again, that is what dictates that service fee. You know, you have a list of things that you will do for that person whether you need them or not. You know, I always use the hotel uh, example. You go to a five-star hotel, what you're paying for is the service because you can get two five-star hotels. And, again, there's an analogy I use a lot. Uh, one's a 1,000 pound a night, one's 250 quid a night. Difference is service. Amenities are the same, bed sheets are the same, you know, swim pools are the same, everything, everything else they've got is the same. And this is the problem with coaches. You try and differentiate a coaching business. You tell me what you do. Everybody rhymes out the same thing. I've got results-based training. So everybody's got results-based training. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the industry. Yeah. Or they claim to have results-based training. You know, what do you do for clients? Oh, they get nutrition. Yep, everybody else does as well. Oh, they get accountability. Now, that's starting to narrow it down a little bit, but most coaches now do that. So what's, what's different about you? And I've, it's got a, stuff I've got that, a nice accent. I've got a nice accent. Yeah, yeah. But again, that's the, but again, that sort of stuff will, <laughs> attention will have been drawn to you because you have a different accent in a place where that accent doesn't belong. Same as me. When I went to London, I had a northern accent. People were endeared by it. You know, call centers, nearly all call centers in the UK are based in Newcastle or they're based in Ireland because people don't like arguing with Geordies or Irish people. It's <laughs> because they think they're going to get shanked up or something like that. They're no, because, out, because their, accents, their accents are very calming. They're very friendly accents. So therefore, they put call centers in Newcastle because, again, the, the, the Geordie accent is a very soft kind of, you know, endearing accent. And so is the Irish accent. Oh, so, so it's how do people react. It's very hard to get annoyed at them. <laughs> that's how you know our mind I like works. that I like that mate I like that you know, See, I expect you to be very blunt because my experience of people with your accent is that they're very blunt and that's a regional difference right my wife's also a Mancunian she's got the same accent as me and she is blunt Phil she yeah. is blunt yeah. <laughs> brilliant so when it comes to renewal struggling with renewal or retention always start at home look at the start at home, look at your services look at what you're offering your clients if it's not good enough you should be able to tell yourself that. It's like doing a SWOT analysis of yourself. It's one of the biggest struggles in this life is to write down your issues, yeah, the problems with your business. I love complaints. A complaint tells me what I need to work on. Compliments are great. Love them. But I'm not looking for compliments. I'm looking for errors. I want to know what's wrong because people can repeat to me what's right all the time. Like, oh, it's great. It's great. It's great. It's great. You know, and if it's your friends, even worse because they filter the crap out of that. They never tell you, you know. It's like when you've been in a relationship with somebody and then, you know, you break up with them and your friends go, yeah, they were never right for you. So why didn't you tell me? <laughs> you know? I like that because they're your mate, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But again, they're meant to be straight with you. And this is this meaningful relationship thing, right? All of my friends it will be very straight with me. They'll tell me what they think. And that's because we've developed meaningful relationship over extended amounts of time. All of, I have a very small friend circle. Very, very small. You know, I've got colleagues everywhere. But friends, very small. You count, you know, one and a bit hands. You know, the people I truly would classify as my friends. Yeah, cool. A couple of little tidbits of advice there just for question four and five. I like it. Okay, mate, that's the end of the question. So, awesome. Phil, what has been happening with you? What's been going on? What are you up to, brother? Uh, we're just developing the academy as ever. Uh, we're just renewing all the modules right now. We're refilming all the stuff in, in March. Uh, we've got a new revamp on the business stuff. We're going to be a little bit more nurturing the business stuff. We're going to be giving out a lot more with respect to information for coaches to go away and do something with straight off the bat. Uh, we're trying to make it very applied. So rather than us teaching you something, then you have to think about it. We teach you something that you can then go away and do it almost immediately alongside the stuff that needs to sit in the background. You know, you need to work on, we're trying to improve our communication through an online platform through different uh, different means and i always think communication needs improved all the time uh we're trying to automate we're trying to expand the team we're doing all that sort of stuff we've just launched our first seminars we've got the first ones coming up in march we've got some going on in may and we'll undoubtedly have them throughout the year uh we've got the asset side of what we're doing 
Uh, we're starting to provide services for coaches. We do custom recipe books. We do a bunch of custom lead capture and service add-ons for people. Uh, we do calorie guides, all these different things that obviously coaching business typically can't afford to get that level of professionalism in a, in a document. Uh, so we do all that. We're starting doing the web development and all manner of, manner of things, but it's all industry stuff. Uh, I've got some other projects going on here and there, which uh, some I can talk about, some I can't. And I've got plans right up until about 2022. Uh, right now for execution of certain things and blah 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 so it's an exciting it's an exciting time but it's it's never been any different i always plan well in advance and there's always things you know cooking in the fire and doing things so so yeah all good nice and we can and like i say we've got all the links to the academy are going to be in the description click on it and it's applicable all across the world whether you're in canada the uk like the techniques and the stuff that you learn with the academy are going to be applicable straight across the straight worldwide eh yeah Excellent, excellent. All right, this is it. This is the question you have been waiting for, my friend. Go for it. So we've had answers on this for people from Australia, people from the States, people from Canada. The States and Australia have a little bit more like experience. So this is going to be an interesting one. Let's see. Who would win a fight between a saltwater croc and a great white shark and why? A saltwater crocodile and a great white shark. Well, technically, the uh, the apex predator there is the great white, uh, simply because that's what David Attenborough tells us. <laughs> uh, the other challenge I would have there is that where you're going to put them. It's a bit like Street Fighter. What's the game my son plays? Oh, has all the superheroes in it, blah, blah, blah. But you get to choose where they fight, home or away. Is a saltwater croc in the, the, the Great White environment or, or is the Great White playing in the saltwater crocs environment? Oh, I, I need that data. You see, I like that. You're data-driven. I like that. You're data-driven. I'm going to give you the data. Let's say we are in chin-deep saltwater. Chin-deep saltwater. Chin-deep saltwater. Well, the Great White is not going to go very far. So the, the croc's going to win all day. I like it. I like that, mate. And that's I'm like... It's so, all like, give me the background. He's going to get a hold. He's going to drag him out of the water. Great White's flapping around going, what the hell? You're putting the salt water in proper ocean. Salt water isn't standing a chance. He's got legs for a reason. <laughs> you know? So, so it's all about the environment. And I'm in a private facility or a commercial facility. <laughs> Are they doing home training? Are they in- Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Is the croc train for power or endurance? <laughs> Big questions you've got to ask here. This is it, my mate. I like context. it. Context. Context is everything. I like it, my mate. So, Phil, thank you once again, mate, for being on the show. Really Very appreciate welcome. it. Some fantastic content. Uh, and like I say, all the links are going to be in the description. So if you get on there and check Phil's stuff out, you will not be disappointed. I'm going to finish it, Phil, with a... Go Phil Lenny! Amazing. The outro is as good as the intro. All I want now from you is I would love you to change your background to Hawaii. <laughs> done. Done for the next time. <laughs> that was the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. You can follow us on social media or visit us at dtsfitnesseducation.com for more knowledge applied. Remember, there's a new episode weekly. So thanks for listening and go DTS Fitness Education!